0: I thought, heat rises, so I'll go and sit in the balcony, and it'll be warmer up there. It's freezing for you guys. so. Um, also, I was thinking when I heard that the heating had broken, I was thinking, oh, what do we do, what do we do? And I have this old, old photograph of what they would call in Gaelic a kayak, an old woman with her head covering, worshipping in a service in the snow outside in the highlands and the sermon was three hours long. Um, the service was five hours. So just toughen up, okay? <laughs> Don't expect any sympathy. It's, uh, oh, I, I hate the cold myself, but anyway, we'll see how we go. And if you, feel, if you do feel really, really cold, there is a, a blanket you could go through uh, to the library or you could just hug the person beside you uh, with their permission, first of all. Maybe you could also uh, clap your hands. I uh, I was actually reading Chrysostom, which is this uh, ancient Greek preacher uh, in Antioch, and I just I thought this sermon was hilarious. He he's a congregation of about three thousand with his he's no microphone, and he gives them a row and he says, "Listen, last week I told you." I'm translating from the Greek fairly loosely. Uh, last week he said, "I told you." Uh, not to clap when i 'm preaching, because uh, this is god 's word, and it 's not me, and they all stood up and gave him a standing ovation for <laughs> So uh, we don 't normally do that here, but if you are really, really cold, you can clap at any point uh, if you like. well we 're going to turn to Romans chapter 12, and um, what we 've had in Romans so far is something that to me is just just wonderful paul 's writing to the city uh, to the church in the city of Rome. In chapter 1, he's introduced himself, he's talked about the wonder of the gospel, and he then goes on to say why people have turned away from God and what the consequences of that are, and he talks about where society is at. He talks about God's righteous judgment in chapter 2 on the religious as well as the non-religious. He talks about God's faithfulness in chapter 3, and then goes on to say in chapters 4 that no human being is righteous, but people can become righteous uh, by faith and then in chapter 5 he talks about how death came through Adam life came through Christ in chapter 6 he says that means that you're dead to sin uh, alive to Christ in chapter 7 it's really the struggle of of how you live as a Christian and in chapter 8 it's the freedom of the spirit chapter 9 it's God's sovereign choice chapters 10 and 11 look at the role of uh, the Jewish people and the nation state of Israel By the way I feel an enormous amount of sympathy for a pastor in the OPC church in California who's had someone attending his church who went out and went to a synagogue and shot a woman dead and shot two other people and on his website had this rant against the Jews how is that possible and he claimed to be doing it in the name of Christ well I tell you this that guy never read his bible and that it was some of the dangers of the internet and stuff that's involved. But it's, it's, a, it's a good, solid, orthodox church in some ways. And I think it reminds us all that we need to listen to what God says in his word. And we need to fear the Lord. And we need to obey what God says in his word. Because I think if he had done, he would never have, have gone out and done such a cruel and, and, and evil thing. But then in, in chapter 12, we, we're told we have to have our minds renewed. Uh, reminded again that Christianity is not just a set of rules, but you've got to think about things and put it into practice. Uh, and then we've had this idea of humility in the church. But I was hoping to do verses nine to twenty-one, but even before I knew it was going to be this cold, I realised uh, if we did that, it would you'd be here a long, long time. So we're just going to look at verses nine to thirteen, and then this evening we're going to look at the very, very difficult but important issue of what do you do with people who oppose you what do you do with people who are having a go at you or people who are your enemies you know people who unfriend you uh, in real life Um, how do you how do you deal with that and how do you deal with conflict in the church we'll look at that this evening but let's just read these verses Romans chapter 12 verse 9 love must be sincere hate what is evil cling to what is good be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Well, those of you who are hip and happening and young men like me, uh, you will know Jordan Peterson and his book Twelve Rules for Life, which is utterly fascinating. Um, what is fascinating to me is here's a man who's not a Christian, he's a deist, if, if at all, and yet he, he teaches, I think his lectures on Genesis on YouTube have had about 10 million views, which is really quite extraordinary. But he's got this book called Twelve Rules for Life, and it's really, really fascinating. And I was just thinking when I was looking at this, do you know this? Jordan, Paul beat you, and he's got 10 rules, and each one of them is way better than every one of yours, but um, much as I appreciate Jordan Peterson, this is what we have here. 10 rules for the Christian life, and I would say for family life. Because I think here it is absolutely vital to understand Christianity is not just the doctrines that we have, but the lives that we live now, you, I don't think, you, you, you cannot have the lives without the doctrines, but there is a danger that you have the doctrine without the life. And so what Paul does here is he takes all that teaching and he says, now, now, how then should we live? And he, he's suggesting this. I think um, this is clearly written to the church, but given that each family is meant to be a, a mini church, this is my opportunity to uh, tell my daughter, especially, and and son-in-law, this is what your family should be like. Um, I think all of us, if we were doing this, we'd have to say, don't look at us. What does Scripture say? But as I reflected on this, there were several things that went, ouch, I'm not going to tell you which ones because that's personal. But for you, there will be stuff I hope you'll see that is personal as well. There's a pattern in these verses. If you know your Bibles in First Corinthians 12 to 14, the same pattern. You have the body of Christ, which is the church. You have the diversity of ministry within it. And then this, you have the absolute requirement of love. Agape. First time that this word is used of Christian discipleship. Agape in the Bible and, and in the kind of Greek thought is this idea of God's undeserved love for us. All the loves that we tend to think of are self-loves or loves that are deserved. But this is a selfless love. It's God giving himself. And Paul offers this mind-blowing concept. He says, now this is how you're supposed to live as Christians. And he doesn't just leave it there. He gives us ten parts. I'll not take long on each one. It does have 10 points. And he uses very vivid language, very strong language uh, in these. First of all, very simple. Love must be sincere without hypocrisy. Hypocrite. Hypocritus. How easy, how easy it is to be a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. It's just so simple to do. So simple to say something, to pretend something, and in reality, not to be that something. And I think this is a great word for the church today, that the church is not to be a stage, that love is not theater. It's the real world. And especially in this, I think Paul carries this idea of deceit, and self-deceit how much of our love is so selfish and so we, we deceive ourselves we're so good at it we really are and I suspect many of us live in some form or other a delusional form of life Judas kissed Jesus an expression of love So much love is self serving. I couldn't preach without citing Calvin, but I thought this was just brilliant. Commenting on this, he says It is difficult to express how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess. They deceive not only others, but also themselves. Whilst they persuade themselves, they have a true love for those whom they not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. It's funny, we live in a society where people talk about love, 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 love. We need love, you know, love not hate, and all the rest of it. And in many ways, there's so little of it. Because it is, love is desperately needed but it must be sincere now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so you have sincere love for your brothers love one another deeply from the heart deeply it's not just superficial it's not just talk it always acts Lloyd-John says this throughout the centuries nothing has done or still does so much harm in the life of the Christian church as the failure to put this injunction into practice I don't know how many young people I've met as students in the time that I've been here who've come to Dundee to study, who've been brought up in a Christian home and who are bitter against the church and very confused because they do not see the love of Christ being exemplified in the lives of those who profess it. And let me tell you this, you are stabbing people, no, not in the back, you are stabbing people in the heart. If you profess to be a Christian and then hate other people, that's not, you know, I have every empathy. I have every, I can, it, it's the one reason that I can really understand. It's not an intellectual reason, it's an emotional reason, but it's an emotional reason that's quite right. If you, imagine this imagine you grew up. In a church, your family go to church, they, you, you pray, you read the Bible, You from the very earliest age you hear about Jesus being loved, and as you grow up in that church, people in that church treat you badly. Why should you believe? Because they say they do, and clearly they don't, or if they do, what kind of God is it they believe in? You need to understand this. It, it is the most profound thing to be hypocritical about Jesus Christ. You know, you can't. Um, yeah, I'll say this. I, I, Owen, many, many years ago, I'm in a reflective mood, as you can imagine, and many, many years ago, Owen came to me, and we, we talked about churches and so on, and Owen and Natalie weren't coming to this church. In fact, you weren't even married at that point. And um, Owen asked me this, just this very strange question. What's your church like? And give it to me in a one-liner. And I thought, how do I do the church in a one-liner? So I'm not claiming this is divine inspiration, but I just said, we're a bunch of screwed up people in a screwed up world with a great savior. And I remember Owen looking at me going, I'm in. Because that's what we are. And hypocrisy comes when we pretend to be something else, and we then demean the name of Christ. The love of Christ, the love that Christ gives us means that This is, church is like a family. Family causes you so much pain. And the church will always cause you pain. But you only survive it with real love. Number two, love is discerning. We're asked to love and then we're told to hate. Hate what is evil. How does that make sense? Well, love is not blind. It's discerning. It hates everything which is the contrary to the object of its love. So because you love people in your family, you hate the things that would destroy that family. Don't you hate the word cancer and the illnesses and the cruelty and all the things that are in this world that destroy? And Paul here uses vehement verbs. He says you, 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 you've got to hate what is evil. And then he says you've got to cling, you've got to be superglued to what is good. It's not just a casual approval. Oh, that's bad, I don't like that. That's good, I like that. It's, it's wholehearted I think that's a great summary of the Christian life, by the way. Your love must be sincere, and you've got to hate what is evil and love what is good. Love is going to be discerning. Just because you love people, it doesn't mean you're gullible. It doesn't mean that people can come and take advantage of you. We need discernment. Jesus knew what was in the heart of a man. We won't, but we can pray that the Lord would grant us and guide us with discernment. Let me um, just put it very simply in this way. Someone might come in and enter the church and say, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And then let's say we discovered that they um, had had a problem with pedophilia. And, and we said, no, sorry, you can't. You're not going to be teaching kids in this church. And there are certain things and all the rest of it that go along with that. They could turn and say, well, you're not being very loving. You're not being very forgiving. No. It's precisely because we are being loving, both for them and for the children, and for everyone else. Love doesn't mean, all right, let everything happen. That doesn't mean that in a family, does it? Love means, no, no, no. We're going to discipline, and we're going to be discerning. Number, number three, love is affectionate. Look at verse 10. Um, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And it's a, it's a compound word here. Uh, it, it, it means... The love of the parent for the child and then the love of the brother for brother or brother for sister or whatever. And uh, the Greek had two different words for that. And in in families, there is a particular love that a parent has for a child. And then there's a love that siblings have for each other, though sometimes it's not so immediately evident uh, in, in, in how that expresses itself. But you do love your brothers and sisters. You are family You remain family. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying be devoted to one another in brotherly love. It's not, you don't come to church as a club and we come and this is very nice and then we go away and that's fine. We just get on with our lives. There is a devotion to one another, a tender, warm affection which should unite The family of God. Christ is our brother. God is our father. I loved hearing Craig uh, pray. Um, I was just quite struck by the term father, which we use as a technical term, our father in heaven. But it's not. He's, He's our father. And Christ is our brother. Love is affectionate. Verse 10, love honors. Look at this one. Honor one another above yourselves. Now, given what he said about hypocrisy, he's not advocating hypocrisy. He's not advocating the kind of humility that goes, oh, you're so much better at me than this, uh, at this than me. You know, um, that might not be true. Give you a very trivial example. If Crawford said to me, oh, David, you know, I think you're great. You're so much better at singing and playing the guitar than I am. I'm not going to believe him um, or I'm going to wonder what he's been on you, you know you know there's, there's I can't you know you can't it, it, it's not that kind of oh you're better than me oh you're better no, no 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 you're better than me no your food's better than my food no 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 your food's better than my food uh, and, and so on I mean I, if you ever get in one of those conversations can I just advise at one time say yeah you're right I am better than you thank you <laughs> and see what happens uh, whether they really mean it that's not what this means this is more about motive and it's more about honoring the good qualities in others so karl bart um, talks about honoring christ in others philippians 2:3 says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather in humility value others above yourselves but well, we don't do that we're like little children where there's a, some food on the table me me i i mine mine i'm first let me go first and as adults, what we do is we don't quite do the running and grabbing, literally, but sometimes, yeah, in, 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 and in a church as well and in a family, I want to be the first, I want to be the best known, I want to be the most important, I want to be the most valued. And what Paul is teaching us here is not to fake it, but to genuinely take delight in other people and to honour other people. And look at Christ. He honored his disciples and his mother. He honored his mother. Love honors. I think one of the things that can happen in our families is we become so familiar with one another that we denigrate each other far too easily. And especially Someone like me who's a Scottish male for whom denigration is a form of, uh, you know, self-deprecation is a form of defense. Um, Deprecating those close to you as well can be a form of of defense or even attack. And it's not good. It just isn't good. Paul says, no, no, honor people. And then love is zealous. Look at verse 11. I, I, I love this, but never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Enthusiastic. It's a word that carries this idea of you're in haste and you're not lazy. Keep your spiritual fervor. And spirit here refers to the Holy Spirit. And it carries the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Or almost literally it's a bubbling, boiling pot. Cranfield says, allow yourself to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit. As you sit here and freeze just think of this. This is Christians are to be people who are, who, are, who are bubbling over with fire from the Holy Spirit. And it's not purposeless zeal. It's not just being enthusiastic. It's not just saying, well, you've got to stand up and clap your hands. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. It's, it's just simply saying that when you allow yourself to be set on fire by the Holy Spirit, you serve the Lord through devotion. It's zeal rooted in reality. Now, what's the opposite of that? Avoiding work as much as possible. And, you know, I think the major reason we do that is because of discouragement, which is why in a church, if somebody like me stands up and nags people for not doing things, that discourages you more and it's make you less likely to do things. We get discouraged and then we just can't be bothered. That happens in the family life as well. You just, you know, you let it go. You've had enough. You can't cope. You can't cope with the pain. You can't cope with the tears. You can't cope with everything seemed to be going wrong. You, you just can't cope. And so you kind of give up. You stop cleaning. You stop tidying. You stop caring. You stop, um, you know, serving. You just become so discouraged. And what is Paul saying here? You know, be zealous. Never be lacking in zeal. He's actually saying, talk to yourself. He's saying, fan the flame, poke the ashes. You've got a a, a fire. You know, we have a, a fire that we put on on a Sunday normally. Uh, normally, come May, we don't need to put it on, but we'll probably put it on today. Uh, and it's interesting. Sometimes we actually got a row when the police came into our house one time we were away because uh, we put coal on the fire come down for the evening service you know so I have to be aware you know Sinkler, we've only got five coals on this time <laughs> you know is that a five coal sermon or a ten coal sermon and uh, you go back and we have this wee competition because uh, Annabelle thinks she's better at fires than I am and I think I'm better at fires than she is and we'll go back and whoever's done the fire will go on. the other one will go in and look and see if it's ah, it's not on told you. My view is that it doesn't matter if it looks as though it's dead. What you do is you go and you poke it and you get it some air. So you put a old-fashioned broadsheet newspaper over the flume and poke it, bung a little bit of dry tinder on and whoosh, that's how it goes. I want to suggest to you that that is a rather bizarre, but um, I think what Paul, that's what Paul's speaking about here in terms of zeal. Your zeal goes down and down and down. And it's, it, it, you're almost out. You're done. You just... You, you, you know. But there's something still in there that if it's poked and if it gets air, and in this sense I think air is prayer, it, gets, it, it can get new life. It can be renewed. And I think what Paul is doing here is in a very strange thing, in a list of rules or principles for living the Christian life. He's actually saying, don't look at yourselves and others ultimately. Look to Christ. And that enthuses you when you see what Je- if you get a glimpse of who Jesus is and what he does, that's what enthuses you. One of the problems is you get people who are zealous for the church or zealous for the, you know, this particular congregation or any particular, no, 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 don't. Don't. You've got to be zealous for Christ. I think in the family as well, we need to work on our zeal for one another because things can die down, can't they? We just presume that we love our children or presume that we love our parents or we presume uh, we love each other. But sometimes the zeal, you need to give it a good poke. Love is joyful in hope. That's the next one. These are characteristic New Testament concepts. It's not. Let me tell you what this is not. It's not, I hope everything's going to be okay. It's not a shiny, happy people. Everything's going to be fine. It's not expecting great things in the world. It's not putting on a smiling face. What it is, is Colossians 1.27. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Hope lifts us. I-, I loved that new City of Light song we sang because that's what it is. It's Christ in us. Hope lifts us and rejoicing follows. And I would suggest that... There isn't a family here, and there isn't an individual here, and this church certainly, we need a whole lot more joy in our families and church. Now, all of you will know people. I know people. Well, I know one person in particular, but I won't name her. Um, that just, there is a, a. You sometimes think, how do you do that? How, how do you have such effervescent joy, and yet you're real? You know, like you're not fake, and you're not on drugs. There's, You know, it's for real. And it's, it's an incredibly attractive quality. And I think in the Christian church as well, there's something that shines out about people who have the joy of the Lord. Almost nobody here will remember this gentleman, Bill Henry, was an elder here when we came and who died a number of years ago. Um, but what I remember about him was in the most difficult of circumstances, he just had this joy. And you, that, that verse in the psalm, give me back the joy I had. Love is joyful in hope because Jesus is coming, because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is Lord, we can have joy. Love is patient in affliction, endurance. The word here means you stand your ground. And affliction here is not just a wee spot of trouble every now and then. You know, it's not there may be trouble ahead, but let's face the music and dance. That's that's not what this is. This is, as Lloyd-Jones puts it, tribulations of many kinds which bring pressure to bear upon your spirit, upon your mind, and upon your heart. They tend to crush you and flatten you and get you right down. And I would add to that, you combine that with your own sin and how you react. Tribulation. Sometimes it's easy for us to slip into some kind of spiritual comfort zone and, and, and we don't like to be reminded of the difficulties in the world and we'd rather shut ourselves away in a little bubble as though we belong to a kind of Facebook group where only everyone, only good things ever happen and only people who agree with us are in our group but in the church you have to face the reality and reality hurts so this week get a letter from a friend saying I've gone home from hospital because I'm going home for good that's, that's painful you know you just read it even in the letter his wife writing or someone else whose daughter commits suicide Can you imagine the pain of that as a Christian? The pain that you feel with that? And then you get some banal, pathetic Christian preacher saying, Oh, don't worry, Jesus will make everything fine for you. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus says. You go through much trouble to enter the kingdom of heaven. No, we need love is patient in affliction, we need a right view of the world. And I don't have time to go into it because the Bible has so much to say about this, but it's basically summed up in in these basic things. First, don't complain, no matter the trouble. Secondly, be patient. It's not over, it's not finished. Be patient. Thirdly, recognize what the world is. The world is a valley of tears. And if you think you can escape that, you are going to live in an unreal world. One thing I will guarantee that there are people here in this congregation today who, if you're all here next week, there will be many of you saying, I wish I hadn't been in that week because of what you heard or what happened to you. It's, it's hard. But then you need to remember this. Christ walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And remember that Christ experienced every tribulation. And remember, we can learn from troubles because they teach us about the world. They teach us how to empathize and they really test our faith. i always remembered hearing a sermon of John Piper talking about the text we saw earlier in Romans 8, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And he talks about how that's always put on a poster of lambs skipping through a field and he said it shouldn't be. You're a Christian when that's on a poster of a dead child and you're still saying God works everything for the good of those who love him. That's different. Mm-hmm. See, that's faith. Love is patient in affliction. and We have to have that patience in the church. I'm not a naturally patient person and the, the most dangerous prayer, I think, or maybe the second most dangerous prayer I ever prayed was, Lord, teach me patience. Okay, enough. I can wait till heaven. it's <laughs> just no... Love is faithful in prayer. The best way to be patient is to pray, to busy oneself with prayer and it's effort that's needed to maintain a habit that is so above nature because we are always too busy to pray. It's not just prayer as a duty. It's not just prayer counting rosary beads. It's not just prayer being seen to be praying with others. It's a way of life. Wesley's great hymn, strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in his mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus' trust is more than conqueror, to keep your armor bright, attend with constant care, still walking in your captain's sight and watching unto prayer. How much does God have to let you be heard before you really start praying? Look what Jesus did he went up to the mountain. He crossed the sea to be able to pray, to get some peace. He went to the temple. Love is faithful in prayer. And let me again say this very, very simply and so importantly, and it's such a caricature or a cliche, but it's true. Every single one of those children in there will benefit eternally if they have praying parents and especially, I have to say this, a praying mother, but you need a praying father as well. But one thing you can do for the kids is pray for them. Love is generous. Koinonia, sharing in people's needs and suffering and sharing our resources with them. Calvin, again, it generally happens that those who are more weighed down by poverty than others and stand in need of help are treated with greatest contempt. Contempt. Sincere love leads to practical help for those Christians who are in need. Christ shared. We are to share. That's what we are to do as a fellowship. You are enormously blessed if you come from a family, and some of you won't come from families like this, but you are enormously blessed if you come from a family where you know that whatever happens, your family's got your back. Some people take advantage of that, and it's wrong. But you know that there's someone you can go to. You know that there's someone who will help you financially. You know that there's someone who in a crisis will come round. That's what the church should be like. And if we're not like that, we're not the church. It's as simple as that. It's not an optional extra. It's not for the special ones. This is the church. It's what it's meant to be. And I, I tell you, it's hard. And love is hospitable. hospitable. We hear a lot about xenophobia. You know what xenophobia is? A fear of foreigners. It's the most atrocious thing. You know, to, to be afraid of people because of their race or because of their skin colour or because of where they come from. Paul uses a different word here. Philoxenia, a love of foreigners. A love of strangers. And that's what the hospitality is. It's a love of strangers. Now, in these days, the inns would have been few and far between. You couldn't just nip along to Travel Lodge or Premier Inn or, or I don't know, if you're into one of the posher ones. Uh, you couldn't just do that. You'd sleep out on the street. And that's why in the New Testament, it was essential for Christians to open their homes and especially for church leaders. It's why you couldn't be an elder if you weren't hospitable. 1 Timothy 3.2, now the overseer must be hospitable. Titus 1.8, rather he must be hospitable. Uh, Gaius in 3 John 5, dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Paul doesn't say here, practice hospitality. He says, pursue it, chase after it. He says, it's going to cost you. Uh, the early Father Origen says this, We are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. Christian hospitality must inconvenience more than that of the world, inconvenience us more than that of the world. We do not choose our time or our guests. So, There's a simple practical application of that in this church, I hope. And that is, look out for those who you think may not have a meal this lunchtime. Look out for those who may be going home on their own and don't want to. Don't just look out for your friends who you haven't seen all week. And don't just look out for the people who you want because you want to get to know them because you think they're really cool. But look out for the stranger. There's great reward in this. We know it. In Hebrews, some have entertained angels. God is going to welcome you into his home. I think, sure, this is where Paul is coming from. So make your home a welcoming home, a hospitable home. It's a, you know, if, if we took last Sunday evening's sermon and this one, you just bung it together and you say, well, that's it. That's it. That's, that's what, if we did this as a church... I, um, there's a, a lady called Rosaria Butterfield and she's probably better known because she used to be a, a, a lecturer in queer studies and gender studies and was uh, um, uh, a practicing lesbian and her testimony is quite remarkable but I actually find her writings even more remarkable in terms of her latest book which is on the challenge of hospitality I'm not saying I do it the way that she does she married a reformed Presbyterian minister I mean it's just, it's just the most amazing story and she talks about how they go out in their garden and have a barbecue and sing Sam's a cappella so the whole neighbourhood can hear, and then invite them to. Now I'm not suggesting you do that. Try it. Um, our old friend, uh, former elder Murdo Macleod, he'd be all for that. He would. He does it in the car going down through Dundee High Street. That's fine. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's necessarily the case. But imagine if we just had open homes for people. I'm not saying, you know, of course, you've got to be wise and discerning. People can take advantage and they can destroy and so on. That's not what's been spoken about. It's, it's the spirit of being welcoming to people and not just leaving it to a handful. Man's kids will often know this, that you have a lot of people up for a meal. And uh, it's a code that some of you are aware of. Maybe maybe uh, more people have been invited because uh, both parents, usually the husband is at fault in this one, uh, invites different people, and then there's not enough food, and the message goes out to the kids. FHB, family hold back. You know, you'll get more another time. Well, maybe there's another thing as well. You know, listen, we're going to have a lot of people. You've got to muck in. You can't just leave it to your mum or your, or your wife. You've got to muck in. And that's true of the church. You can't just leave it to the usual suspects who do everything. Muck in. Help. Those are the 10 points then. Very straightforward. Just They're up there. They're just uh, as plain as can be. But if you just... Take those, remember those, memorize those. And sometime this week, you're going to need love is patient in affliction and love is faithful in prayer and love is generous. The Romans listened to Paul. How do we know that? Because Ignatius, writing to the Roman church, probably about 50 years after this, greeted the Romans as preeminent in love. They listened. They were doers as well as hearers of the world the word. Think of how our church would be transformed if we practice this. Now, please don't misunderstand me. One of the things I love about St. Peter's, I see a great deal of this already in practice. But it's not enough and all of us, especially me, could be much, much better at this. And we're not going to be much, much better by nagging ourselves. We're going to be much, much better by looking at Christ and saying, okay, yeah, I, I can serve, I can Jesus did this for me, I can do this. It's not a problem. We need to cry out, Lord, help me to live a life that is worthy of you. And back to our families. Our families are little churches. And I would suggest if you want to improve family life, it wouldn't do you any harm as a husband or as a wife or as a parent or as a child to go back and look over these 10 things and think, yep, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to honour I'm going to be sincere I'm going to be discerning I'm going to be affectionate I'm going to be zealous and patient and faithful and generous and hospitable that would help enormously and then maybe finally we we'll are looking this evening at how we the next part of this at how we, we deal when this doesn't work out and when people don't love us because we love them but they hate us but I want to say to those of you who are not Christians, what I'm talking about here, I think to most sane people it sounds great, but I also want to tell you it's impossible without the love of Christ. It's not nagging you to say, go ahead and do this and you'll be fine and you'll be a Christian. You can't live a Christian life without Christ. Well, how do you get Christ? You come to believe and to trust in him. And here's the most wonderful thing. You don't earn it. You can't earn it. It's impossible. It's an absolute gift. Those of us who are Christians have to look at ourselves and say, we've been given this gift, what are we doing with it? But those of you who are not yet Christians, you need to seek the giver. You need to seek Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the the love that you have given to us in Jesus, the love that's been shed abroad in our hearts, the love that was shown and demonstrated so clearly on the cross and thank you for the love that we have for one another in the church weak and feeble as it is and thank you for the love that exists in families and lord may our love be sincere may it be discerning may it be affectionate and devoted may we honor one another may we be zealous burning with the fire of the holy spirit lord grant us joy and hope patience in affliction faithfulness in prayer And make us a generous, open-hearted, open-minded, open-walleted people. And make us, O Lord, grant that we would be hospitable, willing to share, willing to care, willing to put ourselves out in order to meet the needs of others. O Lord, we seek your face. We seek your forgiveness. We seek your beauty and we seek your glory in your name. Amen. Now, before the baptism, we are going to uh, sing uh, Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. The children will be returning. If you're uh, a child in the creche uh, or nursery and you want them to come back in, then you can please go and get them at uh, this point. Love Divine, All Love's Excelling, Joy of Heaven to Earth, Come Down. Let's stand and, and sing this to God's praise.